I'm a DC mayor. I'm not a, a expert on their crimes, but that that traffic is notorious. So people know about it. And um, I think which lines go to that station? Blue and yellow. Blue and yellow. So every line goes to Gallery Place, uh, right? Red, blue, orange, and yellow. Yellow and green. Is that right? I think that's right. So we had an interesting day today in the Washington, D.C. area, and I think I owe uh, an explanation to our listeners who come from around the world. We have listeners uh, in uh, in India and in the U.K. We have in, in listeners in uh, all parts of Europe and uh, in Japan. Uh, we, we thank you for tuning in all the time. Uh, I have to explain to you that in the D.C. area, the biggest story and the biggest story, frankly, in sports media uh, today is about this incredible move that happened without a lot of notice. One that uh, is taking two of the major franchises in D.C., the Washington Wizards and the Washington Capitals, uh, the Capitals being a team that uh, very recently won an NHL championship and have one of the premier scorers uh, in the history of the league and Alex Ovechkin uh, in a, a, a major move uh, to uh, the across the river to Virginia, where they are going to, uh, under the current plans, occupy new space uh, that has been uh, announced on the Potomac River right by the, the Ronald Reagan Washington International Airport, uh, but that's obviously located in Virginia, uh, and by a metro stop that uh, Mayor Bowser was trying to uh, navigate there. Mayor Muriel Bowser of D.C. is known for a lot of things. Being smart is not one of them. And uh, this is really something that is kind of, I think, going to take over the conversation within the sports business world, uh, within ESPN and other uh, avenues over the course of uh, the coming days, because it's just such a shock to the system. But it's also a indictment, an indictment of progressive policies when it comes to crime, particularly in the post-George Floyd, post-pandemic era, which led directly uh, to this move. Um, there, there are a number of other factors involved. Money is always a big deal, uh, but it's it's clearly something that would not be happening uh, if not for the major crime spike in the uh, capital uh, city of America to see the kind of, of situation there that's played out, out over the past several years uh, that has only continued to climb. Uh, is something that you know really is an indictment of the progressive policies that even entertained the idea of defunding the police in the first place. So whether this actually comes to fruition or not will be interesting. There'll, there's a lot of different hurdles to get over, but you did see uh, Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin. You saw uh, Democratic Senator Mark Warner at this announcement today, along with the team owner, Ted Leonsis, uh, who owns both franchises and the downtown stadium that has been their home now uh, since the 1990s. Uh, and uh, that does seem to be a pretty unified front, along with a lot of local officials, most of them Democrats, uh, to try to make this something that is real. I want to talk about this for a minute uh, with two people who are uh, very much uh, local residents aware of these things, whether they're fans of the team or not, teams or not. Uh, this is something that definitely will affect them. Dan and John, uh, you know, I, I'm just curious about your your initial reaction uh, when you heard this. Was it one of excitement or was it one of doom? Uh, and I think I, I think I can probably guess, uh, but but I'll have I'll ask each of you in turn. Dan, what, how did you feel about it? Well, I so I I there's a lot. There's a lot to it. I'm not a. I, I root sort of 
I, I don't root against the Caps. I don't care about the Wizards particularly or or the NBA generally. I haven't cared about the NBA in 10 or 15 years. But um, I was happy for the Caps when they won their cup and all, and, and, and all that. And it's a, good, it's a good fan base. It's a really good fan base. You have to give them credit. Most people, like most people, not like you, Ben, I know, but like most people, I live in D.C., but I'm not from here. It's one of those cities that nobody's from. Um, I live in the D.C. metro. Lived in D.C. for, I don't know, eight or nine years I don't know, 12, if you want to include uh, university. So um, in that time, I have seen uh, kind of the, I've seen kind of the peak of DC as a economic and housing and commercial uh, development powerhouse uh, sort of come and now start to go. Um, I have to say it's one of the, it's one of the few bits of like whiggishness that I allowed myself or that I was guilty of, I guess I should say is that I sort of thought that like New York, which is the other city I've spent most of my adult life in, that like New York, D.C. had kind of cracked the code for how to have Democrats run a city with uniparty control and yet not scare away development and money. And those two cities in particular, New York with obviously finance, D.C. with, you know, everything else from from, you know, every major law firm in America to defense contractors, blah, 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 blah. Um, I, I, I thought they had sort of cracked the code of you milk those guys uh, to prop up your tax base and you can, you know, you can hide a lot of the deeper dysfunction of uniparty rule um, with lots of nice amenities and keeping the upper middle class relatively safe. Uh, you know, on the whatever, 500 feet of of asphalt that they cross to get from their metro stop or their parking garage to their apartment. But I was wrong about that. I turned out to be too Whiggish about that. And we've seen in the post summer of rage, post 2020, and even a little bit before that, we, we should be fair, um, the, that, you know, that both of those cities turned a corner in the wrong direction. I think New York's been a little bit better at coming back, but still not great there. And DC, I mean, this sort of thing is, you know, people talk about a doom spiral and this is, this would be, you know, one major thing you'd look for is, you know, that, that is what amounts to DC's downtown there, the gallery place, Chinatown area. And, um, and this would be terrible for it. I mean, it was always kind of Times Square. It's always kind of the Times Square of DC and and it was always a little bit sketchier or a little bit sort of more garish at least than um a lot of the surrounding areas but this would be very very bad for them i mean i have my thoughts on when i when i when i heard this i my thought was as a jets fan a long suffering jets fan my thought was about the west the doomed west side stadium in new york where they were going to build what is now hudson yards the sort of uh playground for the rich and famous they were going to build a standalone jet stadium that was also going to be a part of their olympic bid for the 2012 olympics and when that happened sort of everyone knew that that was never going to happen it was announced in the same way with the same fanfare that this announcement came and everybody sort of looked at hudson yards looked at manhattan west side of manhattan and said yeah that's that's never going to happen and i'll i'll put down a marker i'll say i'll say potomac yards will not see this development happen now that doesn't mean i think that the caps and the wizards are going to stay in dc i just i would i would have to take it would take a lot of really smart urban development types to sit me down in a room and explain to me how that's feasible especially with what we know about what amazon's planning to do the fact that the airport is you know less than a, the runway is less than a quarter mile away i mean it just doesn't seem um it doesn't seem feasible to me but i look at it as a placeholder it's sort of let's snatch these guys, while they're in the mood, 
to move and then we'll figure out the details later but that's just my kind of day one reaction to it but i'll, so, I'll, so let I'll, me, I'll lay down a marker so let me as a as someone who uh has been here uh and when i say here i do mean uh loudon and fairfax county the two in two of the counties in the in the hub around uh washington dc which are the highest per capita income counties including the different uh counties in in, in maryland uh, in the country, if you if you look at them, there are usually eight out of the top ten, um, which is an indictment of our federal government uh, and this horrible system that we have. Uh, I will just say to you, uh, there was a press conference very close to this uh, with uh, with uh, in, in back in the day uh, concerning the possibility of a move uh, out of D.C. Uh, with. Uh, I, you know, with the with the authorities at the time in roughly the same area that never came to fruition. So perhaps your bet is going to be right. I think you're wrong, though, and I think you're wrong for a couple of reasons. But the biggest reason is this is super bipartisan in in Virginia. The Virginia voters want it. Uh, the Virginia talk radio listeners want it. The uh, Vir Virginia's sort of pro business uh, Yunkin Republican faction wants it. Really, the only factions that don't like it are the far left progressives in Virginia, of which there are actually not quite a lot. Um, and uh, and the sort of uh, under no condition should we give benefits to billionaires, uh, anti, uh, you know, sort of uh, corporate welfare development types on the right. Uh, and that is just a very small portion of the representation so I didn't uh, in, think in just, this whole process. Just to be clear, and I want to hear John's point of view, but I didn't think it was necessarily going to be a political stumbling block. I, I viewed this as kind of a leverage situation by Lancis. And you already saw a last minute counteroffer from Bowser of which he played, you know, that clip. So, you know, I, I'd have to look at sort of Elon Musk style, like what his outs are. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's just trying to get a better deal, you know, so, well, somewhere. So, so let so. me say one more thing and then and then we'll turn it on. Here's the deal. The the overall motivation among the nba arena owners and this is one of the big factors when it comes to uh what mark cuban is currently doing in dallas uh is uh, that they do not want to be confined to these urban area situations where they cannot expand and they cannot own all the things that are around them uh the, in other words you want the money-making opportunity of owning the retail the restaurants the residential all of the different things that are around these arenas today, uh, including, you know, walkable areas and then hotels. And then ideally, and this is the, you know, very strong rumor regarding what Cuban is going to do when it comes to Dallas, is he wants to move away from the American Airlines Center that's downtown and restricted, move outside to the suburbs uh, and build a casino. Because that's what you want. What you want is something like you have in New Orleans where you have a casino that's connected to the NBA uh, arena that's there and to the football stadium that's there so that you have people basically just walking back and forth spending money in your place as opposed to going outside of it. And that's the thing that, you know, is is really the moneymaker for all of these different entities. Uh, and the problem for Leonsis has, has always been not only is he locked into a bad lease deal uh, in D.C. where he owns the building, but not a land that's under it. Um, DC owns the land, uh, but he also, you know, basically has no control over all the things that happen around it. And so as you've seen this decay of, you know, everybody working from home, 40% occupancy in Chinatown, uh, you know, the rise of crime in the area and everything else like that. And we can get into those stats. 
you know, he basically had no control over it. And so when he does this press conference this morning and says the ability to look out at 70 acres and see the possibilities of starting with a clean slate, that was his quote. That's the kind of thing that I think you just can't compete with. I don't think he's trying to get a better deal out of D.C. I think this is the best deal that D.C. could have offered him. uh, And it's not good enough because it doesn't make up for all the lost revenue that he has from missing out on all these other things. Uh, but John, I, I want to get you in on this and and hear your your thoughts. Uh, what is this going to do to your commute? Oh. So I basically go up the the interstate into DC. So hopefully, well, on the way to work, it won't be so bad. But I think on the uh, you know on the way back from work on on game nights, um, you know, probably more Caps game nights than Wizards game nights, given the you know, relative <laughs> success of the franchises. You know, it's going to be bad and it's the main, you know, it's going to be traffic going down the main thoroughfare from, you know, the district of Columbia in down, you know, basically straight through to Richmond. Um, you know, there's been concerns, you know, a few years, a few years ago, a year ago, even probably ongoing now to some extent, uh, <clears throat> thoughts of, of the, I want to say the Redskins, the Washington football team, the commanders, you know, whatever they're going to be next. Um, I was like watching. You should, uh, just, uh, you should refer to them properly as the C words. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, you know, the, the, the creative, because it was so uncreative, the, the, the fighting FTs, um, you know, there was thought of putting them was about 45 minutes South, 40 minutes South of DC. And people just went ape shit in those communities. And understandably so, I mean, it's a, you know, the DC area is, is pretty built up at this point And, um, I, I do think there's going to be some logistical issues with, with where they're really more around traffic. And I know that I guess they're talking about a huge underground parking thing, but access to it, it is a very access is going to be a, a real challenge there. But I don't know that it's going to be that much worse than where the stadium is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a place where it is entirely commercial, but not office building commercial. I mean, it is retail, but now in the last few years, there's been a, where, where they're talking about, I've been in DC for almost 20 years now. It used to be, you know, a mile South of there was like nothing. It was literally just grassy fields. Uh, they are old rail yards. Um, there's been a tremendous boom in development around there. Um, Virginia tech uh, has a DC campus that I believe is going to open next year. Uh, their president was on the press release touting this as was the uh very progressive mayor of the city of Alexandria. The city is going to need to sign off as well state government, but it does seem like that, like pretty much all of the political leadership and the economic leadership wants this. I think there will probably be some community issues, but uh, as always seems to happen in Northern Virginia, the politicians will get their way. Um, look, I, I, you know, I grew up as the fan of another uh, Eastern conference NHL team. So I wish the capitals uh, nothing but the worst. Um, I enjoyed it when Alex Ovechkin was tied for last place all time in uh, Stanley Cup wins. Uh, but you know, th- th- it is a good fan base. Um, it is, uh, you know, this you know the city, and I think it's really more people not from the city um, care about the care about the team. Well, you know, whereas, yeah, actually, can I can I interject on that? I think what this actually is is an acknowledgement that DC. Uh, and uh, Maryland uh, are actually just, they have subpar sports fans. They are just not as active in going to games 
as Virginians are. Virginians really want to go to games for, you know, you know, pick your reason, but there's just more of uh, a footprint there. And that was, you know, the basically the biggest argument when it came to relocating the C words was more of your fan base is here. Uh, And, and they want to go there. And, and that's the thing that I think is really driving a lot of the, the sports talk radio kind of people saying, yeah, bring it over. Because there, are, I just think that there are a lot of people who are in these, you know, suburbs and exurbs, who are willing to take their kids in to an area that you know is thirty minutes to an hour away from where they are, uh, but don't want to go downtown to DC, spend a ton of money, and have a bad experience coming out of the arena late at night uh, and having you know their kid yelled at or or feel unsafe. Uh, around that area, which is a very logical thing to feel in a city, which has again seen not only you know a a quadrupling total in terms of of carjackings, doubling year over year, by the way, uh, over just last year. Okay, a, an increase in violent crime that, depending on your measure, is at least forty percent before pre pandemic. An increase in overall crime that's about a third. Uh, many of these uh, uh, done by repeat juvenile offenders uh, who are basically people, you know, who feel like they're going to live forever and they do crazy things like try to carjack Uber Eats cars uh, in the middle of broad daylight or throw bricks at people when they're just, you know, walking around with their kid uh, in a stroller. Uh, but it's it's also the simple fact that there is not enough police to go around in D.C. to manage the city. They have lost 500 net police officers from the DC police department since the beginning of the pandemic. That is not something that you can replace overnight. It's due to a lot of different factors, but you need those cops. You need more cops in the city uh, in order to have people feel safe. And the simple fact is that I think that Muriel Bowser, who is an idiot and her, her DC council progressive friends who all won re-election and it got even more progressive after the last election uh you know they want to go even softer on crime than she does she's basically a moderate on the issue you know it's it's just a combo of incompetence and incapability to understand until you get more cops on the streets until you actually have a feeling of like lawfulness in an area where tourists and visitors are uh coming and spending you know potentially you know, $500, $1,000 in a night, you know, for an experience, you're not going to have people want to come and be return visitors to that. It's just a basic situation that I think the D- the DC thought it could just survive because they think that they're a great city when in reality they aren't. Yeah. And, you know, th- there is a, there's a, a kind of negative ratchet effect. It's, it, you know, it's, I said, I was, I was wrong to be so whiggish about sort of the trajectory of of the of great American cities or or prop, you know wealthy American cities, there you know riots in particular and civil unrest and things around public safety. I mean, you look at New York, <clears throat> which didn't actually have the worst you know riots in the '60s and early '70s, but they still had you know call it 1966 to 1994 95. You know, that's 30 years where New York was not a great American city. Um, 
you know, it was still the biggest and there's still a lot going on and CBGBs and blah, 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 but Andy Warhol, but you know, it was, it, it was a, a bad place to live. And, and when you look at cities that actually did have rioting, there's a ton of social science on this. Don't take me conservative beltway insiders word for it. There's a lot of social science on what happens to cities like Newark, like Chicago, um, you know, when there there's big rioting there and um, it takes a long time. It's you're not just waiting for the next economic boom and everything's OK. If it ever comes out of, you know, that the sort of negativity that comes from widespread public unrest and and looting and fires and, uh, you know, the flight, you know, not that D.C. had the, the like as bad a situation as Minneapolis or, you know, but the point being, you know, the net loss of 500 cops, you know, a sense that the government didn't have, you know, public safety as a top priority in mind, like that stuff can take a long time. It ain't just going to be the next boom when interest rates go down. It can, it, you could, you know, DC could be looking at 20, 30 years. So not to defend the mayor, um, cause I don't think she has covered herself in glory in the last few years, but there are a lot of things that are kind of outside of her control uh, that are leading to this. I mean, you mentioned she has been better, not good, but better on crime. Um, you know, we we saw, I think, for the first time in probably decades, I can't remember when it was, uh, Congress within this Congress uh, overturned a, uh, a, you know, a law that was passed by the District of Columbia City Council, uh, one that, that was, they overrode a veto of, of the mayors to basically make more progressive crime laws. They didn't like the people that were getting in trouble and what it was going to do. Um, and here's here's how bad things are. The voice of sanity, the one council member that voted to uphold the mayor's veto is a guy who believes that Jewish people control the weather with space lasers. Yes. This is not, this is not an exaggeration. <laughs> this is a true thing that has been reported in the Washington Post in the last five years or so. And, the, and in fairness to that guy, he is probably from one of the most high crime, if not the highest crime wards in the city. And the people that he represents have to deal with crime in their communities every day. And it's, you know, I think that he rightfully sees this a huge problem for people to just be able to live their, their daily lives. Um, you know, it is not Muriel Bowser's fault that um, employees of the federal government do not come into the city for work anymore. You know, she is not the chief executive of the U.S. government. Um, and I know it's been a priority for you know, the White House chief of staff. I mean, ostensibly, I guess, for the for the president, but it is not something that's gotten better. And you know, the the city has been hollowing out as a result of that. Um, you know, there's 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 just a, a lot of problems. And you know, as Ben said, I mean, it seems like that things are getting largely more progressive uh, instead of less. Um, so it's I, I think I think part of the issue here basically is, you know, we've seen a number of cities deal with sort of this, uh, uh, you know, uh, crime, the migrant crisis, you know, all these different things. By the way, Andrew Cuomo, uh, I mean, uh, sorry, uh, uh, you know, the, the former uh, governor is uh, is back in The Wall Street Journal this week uh, outlining his plans for how to deal with all those things. So I think we're about to experience the Cuomo back that I anticipated back when back when he got pushed out. But look, I think one of the big problems that they're dealing with is that their own voters are voting for this. And they are, you know, if anything, they are more progressive than uh, Muriel Bowser is. You know, they've opposed 
her uh, approach to kind of having these moderate police reforms, which still, <coughs> excuse me, still don't go far enough. They, they've been opposed to it, you know, for all sorts of reasons uh, within the community. And I think that the, you know, the problem is that you can, you can do all this stuff and get away with it when, as you said before, Dan, you can kind of milk all of these different uh, wealthy entities that are within the city, whether it be law firms or contractors or the like, uh, and paper over all these other problems. Well, to be fair, in DC, they... we were talking about millionaires. We're not talking about billionaires, like in yes. New York. Yeah, with, with a couple. Very well, I mean, you got be you got Bezos, and there, yeah, there are a couple of you know, there's a couple of exceptions there. But, but yeah, I don't know but... his primary residence is in DC, though. It, uh, I, I I don't know either, but he's he, I mean he it was the it was the biggest move to Miami, most Miami. expensive purchase, and you know, and there, so, so I, but you know, I mean, no, that, no, just 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 let me finish my my point here, which is just that I think this is going to be cited uh, in in a lot of people's minds because people always remember the uh, the executives, the the governors, the the. Uh, you know, the people who are in charge or the owners uh, who move teams. If you move a team, even if it's just in this case, four miles, even if it's just across the river, even if it's just a different metro stop, people remember that, you know, uh, and they remember sort of Jack Ken Cook taking, uh, you know, the the C words, uh, the then R words out to Ral John, uh, which promptly got renamed after he died. Uh, he had renamed the town after his two sons. Uh, the, the you know it, it it just it makes a difference that people you know still have hatred for uh, the various people who are in charge when decisions like this are made, and I think in this case the hatred directed at Muriel Bowser is well founded. Uh, I think that if the crime situation had not been the way that it was, if Chinatown had not seen the decay, some of it motivated by people working from home, but not all of it. That it has in recent years, then I think that a deal like this might have been resolved with someone like with a, a negotiator, a nonpartisan but Democrat leaning negotiator like Leonsis, much earlier in this process. Instead, I think he just turned turned around and basically said, "Hey, uh, Glenn Youngkin, former basketball player, loves basketball from from Carlisle, loves money, loves to do you know business deals." Uh, Mark Warner loves business deals. You know, let's let's just figure this out. Uh, and had his, you know, his sort of uh, connection with people who, you know, frankly, were a lot more willing to play ball with him on this stuff than Muriel Bowser, who probably just wanted more money for Black Lives Matter Plaza. Yeah, and you, you, I mean, you hit on a good. It's probably a good transitionary point. Is like, you know, Bowser and America's, you know, struggling cities is. Claudine Gay and Harvard is Donald Trump and MAGA and Joe Biden and his miserable base, which is to say, in all of these cases, there's an absolute failure to pivot. Nobody responds to incentives in anything like a rational way. Triangulation is a thing of the past. Everybody's all in on the equivalent of like sort of base elections. And and I, I you can extend that metaphor to, like I said, Harvard and a bunch of other things. Everyone's committed to a, not even like, you know, 50.1%, you know, just the barest plurality and doubling down. And, and, the, and the ultimate guiding strategy is that you can't be seen as reacting or yielding a single inch to the hated other side. So yeah. any any police reforms that Bowser would have undertaken, any 
you know, pivot back to the center, you know, any, any sort of just good old fashioned technocratic, I mean, my kingdom for Williams or, or, you know, (laughs) like Anthony Williams or like, you know, like, you know, any, any of that stuff is just completely off the table now. And it's a, it's an affliction at every level of the culture and the politics mm-hmm. and it's amazing but i but well, I will welcome, just say, well, yeah. well you know look let's uh let's move into 2024 where you know even though it is december there is there is news welcome to thunderdome where we do believe that the bitch set him up um and so we, we understand <laughs> you know that there's uh, you know talking about uh dc and sports the situation is, is perhaps not something that we normally talk about but it does it did seem to be to me, indicative of a larger trend line, which I think is uh, going to actually animate, I think, a lot of what we see happening in the in the coming year, uh, just given the the different kind of backgrounds and vibe shifts that I think we're all uh, detecting. Uh, there are a number of things that happened since the last time we spoke, perhaps not as much news as, as uh, you know, the last kind of uh, intervening period with all those debates. But uh, one thing that did happen is that Chris Sununu endorsed Nikki Haley, a decision that I think had been telegraphed for quite some time, makes total sense given her rise within New Hampshire politics. John, uh, does this matter or not? Not now. I I think that the only path for, uh, I mean, I just saw a poll, and again, it it probably hasn't baked in the Sununu thing, but I don't know that there's really been a whole lot of Kim Reynolds bounce for DeSantis in Iowa, but um, I think the only way that you would have had a path for a not Trump nominee, and it was always going to be a long shot, would have been um, DeSantis coming out earlier than he did. I think that they thought that they could be kind of cute and avoid having to engage Trump uh, earlier. Um, and I mean, he needed to just basically slingshot himself from his 2022 reelect and you know, smashing victory, smashing victory for Republicans in Florida, where a lot of the party nationally was un- underperforming expectations. And I know there are people like, um, you know, Nate Silver, who I think make a good case that Republicans probably actually hit about where they were. And now because of the nature of, of districts being what they are, I know Sean Trendy's made this point that, you know, it used to be that Democrats are super concentrated in their districts, um, which is still true to an extent in urban cores, but now Republicans are super concentrated in, um, you know, more rural areas. And as the suburbs tilt a little more democratic, it becomes harder for Republicans to put up numbers, um, a digression. But uh, I think that you, the, the not Trump parts of the, and I'm not, I'm not gonna say these are never Trump people because I think a lot of them accommodated themselves to where the party went ultimately. You know, obviously Haley served in, uh, you know, the president's cabinet as UN ambassador, but there needed to be a consolidation early around an alternative. And that person needed to just go all out to build momentum and a sense of inevitability as just the, the not Trump figure. But look, we're, we're what a, a, a month or two out from New Hampshire. And it's just now, um, you know, with Trump still sitting at about 50% in the primary, I mean, it's, it's hard to see, you know, and Chris Christie not showing any signs of planning on getting out. I don't. I don't think it matters. Um, I, I think that it's it's completely possible that Trump sweeps all fifty, and um, you know I'm not even sure that an indictment or or I guess we we've crossed that bridge, but a conviction is even going to. I mean, I don't see the RNC making rules changes that would be seen. You know, now if they were to say in a protective sense of you know president has been or presidential nominee has been national you know party nominee has been 
convicted of a felony that you know the that the party can revisit it. I, I mean, it's it is it is Donald Trump's party, and I saw it today. Um, uh, the Sabbath, Larry Sabato, who is you know, sort of the dean of uh, Virginia political analysts, uh, but there's some you know he's got some good guys working for him that do smart stuff. Looking at Biden's favorability today versus where Trump's was the same time last cycle, Joe Biden is more unpopular uh, than Donald Trump uh, by a few points. But the difference is Trump still had about 90 percent of Republicans having a favorable view of him uh, at this time in 2019. Uh, Joe Biden's only in the high 70s with Democrats. And Trump was actually stronger with independents at this point in 2019 um, than Biden is with independents now. So uh, we're headed toward a rematch. Um, I think it's a complete jump ball. Um you know, I guess it's it's good from a symbolic basis to show that, you know, there are some Republicans that, you know, are still not bought in on the whole sort of MAGA Trump cult of personality. But, um, you know, he's just, you know, I think that Governor Sununu is just shouting into the wind. Yeah, Damn. it's 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 not going to matter. Um, it, it, it's an, it, it's a, an interesting data point. It shows where the momentum is again between DeSantis and Haley. And I think that'll probably change a little because I think DeSantis will even will at least come close in Iowa. That 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 that's I'm comfortable saying that. Um but it shows, you know, sort of the the tragedy of the commons is still operating, the court collective action problem is still operating. And the only chance, you know, anyone had to unseat uh Trump here is for there to be one guy. And it's even harder because, you know, one guy or gal. It's even harder because, you know, there's there are you know the the second choice numbers, right? I mean, Trump's Trump's voters are Trump's voters, and there's and to the extent that there there are somewhat Trump Trumpers, like John says, it's moving in his direction, not not necessarily away from it. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's that was always going to be a challenge, and you see this coordination problem here, where you know instead of you know everybody realizing <laughs> what they have to do if they actually want to have the outcome that they most want which is not trump um instead of all all those people coordinating they're all following their own particular incentives and that will result in uh you know uh too little consolidation too late and any you know single digit percentile chance of a of a different outcome happening um won't and i'll tell i'll just get another little d data point is you know, Sununu today is in his in his uh, endorsement is emphasizing the polls that show how much Haley beats Biden by, you know, 17 points or whatever. And it just shows how sort of like how impoverished the reservoir of arguments against Trump are it's sort of a, a, objectively, you know, our, our cards are on the table here. Everyone knows where we stand. But like when you're, you know, you're saying Haley beats Biden by you know, 17 points, but Trump beats him by 10, you know, so what, how, you know, so why not, you know, to, to use John's oft repeated phrase, like, you know, why, why not have the real thing? You know, why not have real Coke? Um, why settle for tab um, or Pepsi? Um, <laughs> you know, you've got plenty of cushion in those numbers. I think they'll tighten up obviously as things get closer to home, but it's just, it's, it's hard to formulate a case. I think DeSantis got kind of close to it again, too little, too late. Him saying, you know, he's a lame duck on day one. He's old, you know, in addition to all these things he promised you and failed to deliver on. Um, that's as close as I've seen to anything that could move, you know, any kind of minds, but it's, you know, not enough. Look, I, I think that we can, you know, we're well past the point of, of uh, treating this 
as if it's anything other than, uh, you know, sort of a late stage uh, Hail Mary uh, type uh, approach to trying to take the the nomination away. Now, I will say this, uh, knowing that uh, we just saw Will Levis, of all people, do this for the Tennessee Titans against Mike McDaniel and the uh, and the Miami Dolphins in very impressive fashion uh, out of nowhere in the last, uh, you know, three and a half, three and change minutes of of that uh, Monday night game. And so it is possible. It does occasionally happen. Um, but I, I kind of doubt it uh, within this space. You know, there's just not I, I feel like, you know, to a certain extent. You needed one more person in this race. I know that may sound counterintuitive, but I think that what you actually needed in this race is one more person who uh, kind of could effectively uh, take away from Trump without necessarily being the kind of person that people would turn to, would automatically assume that all of his voters will turn into Trump voters. That's the case with Ron DeSantis, obviously, and it's the case with Vivek Ramaswamy. But it wasn't the case back in 2016 with someone like Ben Carson, who was actually the leader in Iowa all the way through to the beginning of December uh, before that caucus resulted in obviously, you know, a complete flip around and and Ted Cruz actually uh, winning that race. Um, I think you almost needed someone like that. Uh, And so I know that sounds counterintuitive, but it seems to me that 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 type of of, uh, you know, someone who was keeping Trump say under 40, you know, like not even, not even like, you know, eating away so much at him, but, but sort of keeping him under 40, keeping him within shooting distance of someone like DeSantis or Haley. Uh, I think the lack of someone's presence in the race who did something like that, uh, without being necessarily a conceivable nominee, uh, was significant. You almost needed one more celebrity. That's my off the wall take about this whole scenario. Well, and the and the closest thing to another celebrity in the race is DeSantis because he's 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 a cultural figure. He's the only one of those candidates who's a cultural figure. And, no, I think you need. I need. I think when I say you know Ben Carson, when I say you know, I mean, uh, and and it's not just because they're prominent black, but it's like Herman Cain was kind of in that same territory. It's like even if they had yeah, a true boost, outsider, yeah. you know, true but, outsider, you know, you almost you needed kind of a I know this is kind of a weird comparison because obviously, you know, he flamed out as a candidate uh, in Pennsylvania, but you almost needed like Dr. Oz in this race, you know, it, like Tucker someone, Carlson. It, well, well, no, see Tucker, if Tucker was in this race, he'd, he'd be where Trump was. Trump would be at 15 and Trump would be shooting Tucker in the face basically every day on, to, on Truth Social because yeah. Tucker is smarter and better and generally that's what I mean like funnier but so, than Trump. so like I mean Trump, but that... Trump this is the big by the way this is my big thing about Trump this time around which we haven't gotten into and I'm saying I'm, I'm I guess I'm spoiling a little a little early because I was planning to maybe write something about it in January but Trump isn't funny anymore that's the biggest problem with Trump Trump basically did two cycles where he was really funny the first one he was extremely funny Second one, he was sort of funny. This one, he is not funny. Nothing actually works. It's bad. It's like it's like he lost the ability to come up with nicknames. It's you know, he his his imitations of people are all rip-offs and they don't really work. You know, it's like all their jokes are just chosen stolen from Shane Gillis. It's like they, this season needs better writers. 
you know, yeah. like it's just that they forgot how to do these punchlines. So anyway, that's my, I mean, look, the funniest thing I've ever seen any president do is when the, the motorcade pulled out of him golfing and making all the journalists, you know, sit out there in the hot weather and he was doing multiple thumbs up up and down in the in the window of the car at the journalists like that is funny you can't not laugh at that it's just regardless of what you think of the man's you know policies that is a funny thing to do oh i mean the the santa claus call with the little kid <laughs> i mean mr mr curd is putting, one of my putting, all-time putting favorites. the candy on top the candy of the minion's the head yeah that, that, yeah i seriously, mean seriously one of the, the funniest the, things i've ever seen the mac truck i mean it's all it's it, it's all gold jerry gold but <laughs> But so, no, the, the, the point I was going to make about DeSantis is actually a little different, which is I do see be, he is the closest to a cult like figure that's in the red. And you could say Ramaswamy, but his his base is so tiny. But DeSantis still and does tinier have, even now <laughs> and tinier even now. But DeSantis still does have his little cult of personality. And what's interesting to me, and this is I know that's a cult of personality. Though, then I think it's a cult. Of no, no, like uh, exactly. I, I that's that's misstated. You're right. Point taken. But. What's interesting to me, and this is a little bit of punditry by 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 Twitter feed, but his diehards are not in the mood, including some who worked for Donald Trump, by the way, are not in the mood to be conciliatory. And it'll be very interesting to me to watch what happens after DeSantis pulls out. And if that is all just posturing and sour grapes like we see a lot or if all those guys get on board and start doing, you know, the emotional labor of of hyping up Trump 2024. Because what I was going to say is, you know, Trump's going to win the nomination, barring a, a meteor strike. But I actually think he's overrated pretty dramatically as a general election candidate for so for a million different reasons. And we don't have to get into all of them. But one of them is there's a lot of I mean, look at just use Bill Mitchell. Bill Mitchell is a great, a great, you know, he's this sort of like Every man, you know, called called his shot on Trump beating Hillary before anybody else became a minor Twitter celebrity. And I, you know, followed him because I thought he was funny when he was a Trump bandwagoner and, and hype man. And now is like all in on DeSantis and hates Trump and sounds at some points like Bill Kristol, you know, about about Donald Trump. So, you know, I, I wonder if if there's a, even a even, you know, one or two percent of the GOP electorate that feels that way. Um, is potentially impactful. Another little data point is Ramaswamy. We heard the rumors that he made inquiries uh, with a libertarian party to see if he could get on their ticket um, when he when he washes out finally the GOP primary. Something like that. He's one of the very few guys in the field that is taking paltry but real numbers of voters from Trump. You know, there's a lot of little things that make Trump a less, in addition to the, you know, the indictments and in addition to time for economic news as literally as we're reporting there was some pretty good uh news from the fed and, and markets are rallying blah 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 so you know in addition to all those you know things that could change in the next year there's other little things within the primary electorate that i'm you know looking at and then of course kennedy you know our rfk and and stop, potentially joe Manchin. stop 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 with kennedy i mean it's just you know in a general, I mean, it uh, just takes one or two. Twenty-two points, points. Twenty-two points. If he does a tenth of that, if Kennedy does a tenth of that, it could change the electoral college. Look, look, I, I, I concur with your with your general analysis. Uh, I do want to get to Hunter Biden before we wrap up, but but John, I have to let you respond to that. So I, I, I 
Trump is not without any number of flaws as a candidate, but he's also running. I mean, you're, you know, it's, it's the, I don't know. I mean, this is, it's not the Globetrotters. It's basically, we have two versions of the Washington generals playing each other at this point. Right. Um, you know, in, in Trump's, um, you know, Trump's problems are well known. I mean, again, let's see what happens, you know, if, and when there's a conviction. Um, but I, I, I think Ramaswamy is a absolute non-factor. And I mean, truth be told, for people like me that are Trump skeptical, I would love to see, I mean, Donald Trump just taking Ramaswamy to the woodshed on a debate stage would bring me so much joy um, that, you know, that, you know, yeah, you know, the Trump guy, you know, he's making some sense here. You know, maybe he can uh, point out the, you know, 9-11 trutherism, you know, as a New Yorker that he is uh, personally offended by, you know, by that. Though I guess he considers himself a Floridian now. Um, uh, look, I, I think that, look, Trump Trump has the, in, in, if this becomes a base election and a base turnout election, um, I think you kind of have to like Trump a little bit more. Um, I think that Biden probably has more room to grow um, in, in the middle. But again, relative to where we were last cycle, he's in a more precarious position there. And I, I think that, hey, let's we'll make it full circle. I think he's kind of got the, the national version of the problem that Muriel Bowser has in D.C. is it seems like things are getting worse. And I know there's plenty of the Twitter types that, oh, you know, people are focusing on the wrong things. And I mean, I think to an extent it, it is vibes and we are in a you know, way more polarized era than 30 or 40 years ago. Um, but, you know, the person who votes on vibes is, you know, their vote counts the same as somebody who is, you know, pouring through, you know, Jay Powell's latest, uh, you know, missives from, from the Fed. So uh, I think that the, the thing that remains to be seen, and I think, Ben, you talked a little bit about this last week, is what a campaign does to both of these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both older. Um, I, I think that I think that the hits on Trump are well known, but I think that, you know, applying you know, acute pressure in certain places. We'll sort of see how that goes. Um, I think that Kennedy has been completely unscathed. And again, it would be kind of interesting there. I mean, do we see the Trump that was like kind of like vaccine curious until people started booing him at his own rallies? Um, you know, I, I think Manchin does have more of a, of a more of a pathway Um than than anybody but like just on the fundamentals right now it's a toss-up at worst for for trump um and you know will i mean i think you've got some interesting questions now will there be debates at all um there will (laughs) yeah there won't be there will not be i I agree and i I think if in it's sort of i mean obviously trump's not getting punished for that in the republican primary but i think it's be a different dynamic in the general and you know, if he is, you know, is willing to sort of do the anytime, anywhere kind of thing, you know, it's going to highlight you know, the, the president's age and, you know, lack of energy, no matter what his, his press team claims. So, uh, I mean, that's the easiest thing in the world. I don't debate people who are traitors to American democracy who tried to overthrow the government. I don't. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, they'll both. I don't both, recognize them as a legitimate they, candidate. I mean, I, I they don't, both have an interest in not I mean, debating. I, if I were, if I were Biden, I would be openly backing efforts to remove him from the ballot. 
Like I, I would, as soon as he is the nominee, I would say this guy can't be on the ballot. Republicans. I mean, they screwed up. They, you know, they nominated someone who can't be nominated. And uh, I don't see, I don't see any downside for him doing that. I um, think you, I think you further radicalize Republicans at that point. I yeah. Think but, that... but I think that you've maxed that out anyway, you've maxed it out. And, yeah. and I don't think that independents are swayed in any way by that argument in a, in a way that hurts you. Um, I also think that, you know, look, uh, the, the simple fact is that the, the Republican Party of the RNC has withdrawn from the Committee on Debates. Uh, the Committee on Debates is going to propose some debate situations uh, that the Biden White House could easily agree to and say we would be happy to do this, hosted by Lester Holt or whatever. And the RNC is out of it now. So, like, they would have to pivot on a dime and turn around and say, yeah, we're going to give Donald Trump a, a biased moderator. And instead, he'll just, you know rampage on on truth social about how you know uh, th- they were going to give us me a biased moderator and i refused to do that and we all saw what chris wallace did last time around and all that kind of thing i mean on the ba- chris on wallace the by the way access. chris wallace by the way who once told me that uh muriel bowser was one of the smartest democrats in uh in america um so well that uh, could still be true <laughs> just a just a very <laughs> yeah. uh just a very just savvy a... very savvy oh. analyst of, of politics that uh chris wallace you can see could him on low, CNN, could be a low CNN bar plus uh i believe you can find him um wait so but wait. the ballot access the ballot access question too is you know the last thing i'll say is you know there was news the other day that trump may not appear on the nevada caucus ballot because of some dumb shit that people in the nevada aren't you know the trumpy people in nevada rnc did and i wouldn't underestimate you know, we're talking about a very plausible situation with that, like, dreaded 269 to 269, you know, uh, electoral college split. Like, you know, I would not underestimate the ability of of a really incompetent national federal, like at the state level, uh, RNC infrastructure to change things in one or two states, you know, for the negative. And I would not underestimate the possibility that Trump gets kicked off a ballot in one of these states that's yeah. even potentially so who knows you know there's a lot of variables uh you know look i just think uh we have to recognize they are a party of trial lawyers and so uh you know it's one of these things that you have to factor into all of these disputes. so uh finally gentlemen uh just with a few minutes that we have left uh hunter biden appeared on capitol hill uh today uh and uh with the help of you know upstanding member of the house eric swalwell uh who definitely you know doesn't have uh, you know, really any compunctions uh, about uh, just, you know, sort of relating and having, you know, sort of interaction, you know, a, a natural flow of give and take with foreign entities, let's say. Uh, and he uh, booked the Senate swamp. By the way, I didn't know that you could book the Senate swamp if you're a member of the House. Uh, maybe that's just my own incompetence. But, you know, I only worked on the Senate side. So uh, it, it's in in part, he said that he was doing this because there is, quote, absolutely zero evidence Hunter acted corruptly. So uh, that's, you know, his take on this whole scenario. Uh, I would direct him to all the pictures and documents that Hunter took and emailed uh, as, as a response to that. But Hunter Biden basically went out there and did this aggressive uh, strategy that we've seen him use deployed you know with the backing of Abby Lowell and others uh, and and reportedly with the opposition of a lot of people in the White House who wish he would just lay low and go away until after the election uh where he basically tried to paint himself as the victim uh someone who's being impugned by uh, members 
of uh, the Republican Party uh, who had bravely recovered from addiction, uh, who is now a family man uh, and who, uh, you know, is being solely singled out because he is the child of the president of the United States. I thought that he sounded like a little bitch when he was whining on a Capitol Hill uh, and uh, that he really ought to pull up his pants, given that he's, uh, you know, in his 50s and really uh, doesn't have the excuse anymore of being a wild young thing. Uh, and that, you know, frankly, I think a, a more uh, a, a more open approach would have been something that said, hey, look, I'm, I'm happy to hand over any of my tax records. I'm happy to pay any fines uh, that I'm due. I was an addict for a long time, and I may have failed to pay some of my taxes, and I'm willing to you know, do that. And uh, if there's any kind of dispute about that, you know, we can talk about it, negotiate about it, et cetera. In other words, to, to come not with his hat in his hands, but with genuine contrition about, hey, look, I've, I've perhaps done some crimes and done some things wrong, but they don't in any way rise to the level of impeachment, et cetera, et cetera. Instead, he's almost daring them to do it. I, if I were a White House staffer, would be very upset with this strategy because it does seem to be kind of daring them to get even more extreme. And given that he has behaved now uh, in a way that is, you know, uh, obviously something that can be held in contempt by Congress going down that Steve Bannon road, it's almost challenging the Department of Justice to come after him in this moment. Uh, what do you all think about this uh, track, this strategy from Hunter? So I haven't followed the congressional part of it as much at this point. And to some degree, I think it's actually a sideshow. I think that the real danger to Hunter and to the Bidens and to the political prospects of the president is the special prosecutor that um, the, you know, the attorney general appointed, who was a, a holdover from the Trump administration, but I don't know that he was a particularly like partisan or even necessarily Republican guy, or if he was, it was nominally so. Um, I, I think that I saw something on the, on the Sunday shows this week, and I thought this was really eye-opening for me. You had uh, Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut, who is you know, probably about as close to generic Senate Democrat, you know, loyal party soldier, all that kind of stuff. Um, and he said that he believes that the prosecution against Hunter Biden is, uh, or the, is legally justified, his words, uh, in quote, I think this is a very troubled individual who has, who has done things that are worthy of prosecution. And so I look forward to that case continuing. Um, I mean, to me, that seems like a pretty substantial break to have somebody who is, you know, again, there's not some sort of Joe Manchin-like figure. But yeah. Remember, can can I ask standing... you, wait, just to, to interject, John, do you read that as, so I, I saw that same clip. I kind of read that as a shot across the bow of the White House saying, don't pardon him. Like, that's how I read that. Well, um, don't pardon him unless you're going to drop out of the race and wait to do it until, you know, December next year. Um, I, I think that's basically right. I, I think I, I do think Murphy does seem politically astute. So, I mean, there is an, an element to that. But the fact that, you know, for all the reporting around D.C. of as prickly as the president gets around any mention of his son and uh, his his behavior, the fact that you've got a sitting United States senator um, who, again, is not a maverick uh, within yeah. the party, um, basically saying, hey, you know, uh, this special prosecutor that you're so upset with your own attorney general over prosecute over naming him to do this, uh, this guy's on the right track. I, to me, that just seems like a real break of the sort of like oh there's nothing to see here 
kind of thing that's been going on. I mean, it's definitely a departure. And again, I realize the dynamics of, of what's happening in the house are different, but where, you know, Jamie Raskin is continually sort of trying to minimize things. Um, it's, it, I mean, to me, this is sort of the first indication. And again, I know we talked about this in sort of the PR sense in the national publications, um, you know, month, a few months ago on this, but this seems like that there's a real indication that there is concern or that people think like, Hey, Hunter actually did do something wrong. Yeah. The look, look, the I, I think there's a lot there. I think you're, you're, totally right and i would refine what i just said my interjection to say like it's almost like you could see the mainstream of the democratic establishment giving joe biden a choice you can either run for re-election or you can you know keep trying to interfere in the prosecution of your son in other words it's like sacrifice sacrifice him if you want to stay in the race um but know that know that that's the choice you know and i and the to me the 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 diversionary deal, the plea deal, the collapse of that was the last best hope for the Biden administration. I mean, dirty as hell. I, again, I think that is a top 10 level presidential scandal of all time yeah. um, and was just a was just a blip on the radar. And the funniest thing about it, too, is I love it when the the partisan apologists try to have both ways and they say, oh, yeah, you know, when the indictment came out, oh, you know, Hunter Hunter spent a million dollars on hookers and blow and and all the usual you know democratic uh you know spinsters are saying spinmeisters are saying well look it shows you know it shows that he's being aggressively prosecuted Whatever. but that was exactly what they were trying to cover up and prevent from coming into the open with this failed uh cover up you know with this failed plea deal so i think that was the last shot biden had and now he's he's being put to a choice and it's you know help your boy or or you know count on the continued you know, good graces and and ostensive support of the center of the party. And the, and and the I, great, I think, to it, that point, the, the help your boy thing, I think, is actually powerful. If I was if you're somebody that's in the president's orbit that's allowed to say this, I think at some point you need to say, Mr. President, the best thing you can do to help Hunter is to cut him off for the next 11 months and get reelected. And then you have a whole range of things you can do at that point. But if you lose, right. you know. If you lose, especially with who the alternative is, you know, the world is only going to get worse for all of us. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think at some point, uh, you know, the president needs to let Hunter kind of take his medicine to an extent. In the great words of the Cohen brothers, Miller's Crossing, take your flunky and dangle. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this has been Thunderdome for Dan, uh, for John. And apologies to those of you who don't care about uh, sports or business or uh, democratic prime, uh, crime problems in major cities. Uh, I'm Ben Dominic. You've been listening to another edition. Uh, we will be back uh, in a couple of weeks uh, after the holidays uh, with more on this crazy 2024 uh, election cycle. I may have one more episode for you uh, uh, next week. We'll see if it works out. Just an interview that I've got uh, lined up. Uh, but if not, uh, we will see you in the new year. Uh, Merry Christmas, happy holidays to all, and uh, and happy new year to all of you. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and please share with a friend. Uh, I'm Ben Dominich, and we'll be back soon with more.